0: One of the things, if you do create an AGI, there are probably lots of them doing specialized things. One could be a human assistant and one could be a travel specialist or something that can look into creating trips for you. They'll probably need to communicate and pass value between each other. And what currency is ideal for transmitting value on the internet?
1: Bitcoin. (laughs) An astonishing amount of new productivity with AI tools actually is actually makes the debt you know orders of magnitude more difficult to pay off without the inflation um unless you are accruing it in bitcoin purchasing power what's a million dollars in debt when bitcoin purchasing power is 10 million dollars you know like like it has to it has to have a currency that can accrue that value in comparison to what our debt is denominated in
2: what's up Sats fans welcome to swan signal I'm your host, Sam Callahan. I'm the lead analyst at Swan Bitcoin, and we have another great episode lined up for you guys today. If you care about your financial future, you need to check out a couple of our offerings, including Swan IRA and Swan Private. Swan Private is our White Glove concierge service where you get a trusted partner on your Bitcoin journey. We offer all kinds of education and research projects, as well as exclusive events to our Swan Private customers. Check it out today at Swan.com slash private. Also, Swan IRA. Swan IRA is the best way to gain exposure to real Bitcoin in a tax advantage account, like a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, or rolling over your 401k. So if that interests you, check it out at swan.com slash IRA today. Two guests that were paramount in my own learning of Bitcoin. We have Guy Swan, who's the host of Bitcoin Audible. And we got Vijay Poyapati, who is the author of The Bullish Case for Bitcoin. It, it was the best blog post that I read back in uh, I think 2017 2018 VJ uh, but then turned into an amazing book uh, that's on my bookshelf so um welcome to you both I'm really excited for this conversation today
0: thanks for having me Sam
1: yeah man good to be here
2: yeah man I wanted to uh, I wanted to start with uh VJ VJ you've been kind of quiet uh, over the last year or so I was wondering uh, where you've been man how, how are you
0: <laughs> uh I've been, uh, focusing on being a dad actually, uh, for nice. much of the last year. I, uh, we had our fourth kid and, uh, I, I, it's just, it's, it's our last kid and it's such a special time. And I, you know, I wanted to spend, uh, a, a bit more time focused on that. And, uh, so I haven't spent as much time on Twitter and what's happening in the Bitcoin world, but you know, that, that uh, topic is in really good hands there's a lot of great people at swan and elsewhere who uh, have been providing a lot of great commentary so i've been just kind of following along and not contributing too much but hopefully you know after you get out of the first year things become a little bit easier so i'm hoping you can, i can get back into things and do interviews and maybe a bit more active on twitter yeah, man. I mean we
2: just miss you. Uh you're such a great voice. And but honestly, family is probably more important than Bitcoin, I would say. So congratulations uh on the new kid. And um thank you. really excited to have you on today. And and guy, uh how are you, man? How how have you been?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're in uh, rad just turned a year old too. Um and uh, uh and I wanna thank again VJ got uh uh VJ and fam got some toys. For him, when we were at Bitvlog Boom, and he loves the little his little ball, like has like a little light up thing when he rolls it around, freaking loves that thing. <laughs> <laughs> that um, makes me
0: really happy to hear, you, guy.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, man. We really appreciate. It. My <sighs> wife was like
2: all just just huge smile. She was like,
1: "Oh my god, that's the sweetest thing ever. Love
0: it." <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there's like a saying in Bitcoin. You know, it's for the kids. Uh, we're kind of building something that's going to last generations. Um, and this is about uh, changing the monetary system. When we look at the traditional monetary system, um, things aren't looking that sustainable, I would say. And uh, right now with the debt ceiling uh, debacle that we all just went through, they once again kicked the can up the road. Um, they raised the debt ceiling from $31.4 trillion. Now it's expected to get up to $35 trillion by twenty twenty five. Um, so maybe throw it to Guy. Like, what do you what do you think of when you just see this debt mountain that just continues to grow, and yet politicians just continue to kick the can down the road, paper over these long term problems um, for future generations to grapple with?
1: Well, the problem is is that like like the whole idea of the debt ceiling is just kind of, I mean, it's it's a pure example of theater um, because they there's no way for them to really lower it. You know, it's part of the dilemma of having a, the reserve currency, but then also a currency that is literally issued as debt is that you always owe more than exists. You yeah. know, like if you, if you issue a hundred dollars into existence and you owe it at 10% interest, you owe $110 and you've issued $10 a hundred into existence. Um, so you have this feedback loop of the, the stress of needing to pay back is always worse than what you actually have available to you. Um, and I don't see how, like just kind of from a mathematical perspective, I don't see a sustainable way that we could not run deficits because of how the, the monetary system literally works. Um, and we would have such a massive deflationary, push like we'd have such a credit crisis because we wouldn't be able to sustain the debts we already have without issuing enough to even simple business as usual but in addition pay off the interest i mean you like look at the 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 treasury um um uh books or whatever they release like just a massive amount of it is going to interest and that's with the staggering amounts of low interest debt that they're holding and every year that the bonds roll over they're they're essentially holding the same debt. They're refreshing the same debt that we have at higher and higher interest. And we're in the period where they've aggra- they've raised interest rates faster than they ever have in history. Um, so, I mean, it's just a, it's just a mess. Like all, all the idea that there's like legitimate talks of like lowering the debt. Like I mean, the the quote unquote compromise was increasing the deficit less than they planned. Like the it's, it's so comically. <laughs> off of like what needs to happen like it's like it's not even a question of whether or not we raise the deficit is literally an argument about how much we raise the deficit mm-hmm. it, it's like it's like saying whether or not like let's say uh you know we have like some really terrible we have diabetes or something and it's because we just eat massive amounts of sugar and and you know we just like here's a barrel of sugar and this is what we eat in sugar every year and what we need to do is stop eating sugar and what we and then we have a plan on the table of increasing that sugar by two buckets or one bucket, and that's the argument: is how much do we, how many buckets of sugar do we add to our problem? And it's just such, it's such a show, it's such a gimmick, um, and the the idea that we're having some sort of a compromise or discussion and there's any sort of restraint here is just comical. <laughs> to like, I, I don't,
2: I don't know how else to put it. It's just silly.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: VJ, do you have any thoughts on uh, the debt ceiling getting kicked back and kind of the unsustainable nature of of the, the fiat system right now?
0: Uh, yeah, I completely agree with Guy that this is just political theater. Uh, I, there is one concept that I don't think is discussed much, but I think is really important: is the, the distinction between Political default and economic default. Political default is when uh, the the institution which owes the debt, the, the nation state, uh, is just politically incapable or is in gridlock and doesn't or doesn't want to pay the debt, just refuses to pay the debt. The other is economic default, which is much scarier, which is when the the nation state is incapable of, of paying the debt. And, and an example of this is the Weimar Republic. Uh, go back in history, into German history, and they were simply incapable of paying back the massive mountain of debt that had been imposed on them by the Allies after World War One. They just didn't have the, the ability to service the debt. And, and w- when you have this huge debt, there are really three ways you can solve the problem. You can cut spending, which is politically very, very difficult, uh, you you can increase taxes, also very, very difficult. And actually, in increasing taxes has a limit. There's a there's a number at which, even if you increase the tax rate, you don't collect more revenue. And uh, the, the most that the US has ever collected historically is about 20% of GDP. Um, so this is even when tax rates were above 70%. You just can't get more blood out of the stone, is my point. So it's both. Politically difficult to raise taxes, and uh, there's a limit on how much you can actually raise doing that by increasing uh, the rate. The third, the third method is the method you know historically chosen by most nation states because it's the easiest politically, and you can kind of blame everyone else but yourself. Is to inflate the money supply. If you inflate the money supply, then the debt burden goes down because the the the, the real um, value of the debt is much lower with a lot more money out there and that's what happened in the weimar republic the, the reason i bring up this distinction is because um what guy says absolutely correct this is political theater but i also believe and this this may be controversial as a bitcoin i don't think we are yet close to economic uh default in the u.s i think we're at least maybe a decade or so away from that. And the reason I say that is um, <clears throat> the the debt service, even with interest rates higher right now, is still manageable. Uh, it, it will become unmanageable for the reasons Guy gave, you know, in the coming years because we're accumulating more debt and debt is rolling over, low interest rate debt is rolling over and we have to uh, refinance that at higher rates. So it's going to get harder and harder to service the debt, but we're not there yet. There are other nations which are in worse positions. An example of this is Japan, which has a much higher ratio of debt to uh, GDP. And so if interest rates rise in Japan, and they're already using, I think, 50% 50% of their budget just to pay the interest on their debt. So if interest rates go up even a little bit there, they're just completely wiped out. Um, but we are on a, on a path that's really bad, and unsustainable. and It's particularly bad for the whole world because the US is the uh, reserve currency of the world and, and the US inflating its money supply uh, to, to make it easier to pay down its debt has implications for all countries around the world. Uh, so I think this is the, the coming decades are actually structurally very good for, for Bitcoin because the U.S. is in a bind. It's just politically too difficult, especially given the polarization in the U.S. It's too difficult to do the things that you need to do. Uh, you, cutting spending is probably the most important thing we need to do. We spend way more than we bring in. Uh, and it's just not sustainable. But... You know, in a democracy, you get really strong, entrenched interests and they are voting blocks. And how do you cut Social Security? Well, you can't cut Social Security because you have all of these uh, elderly U.S. citizens who will very vehemently object because it's in their personal interest that Social Security continues. whether or not the nation defaults is kind of a, an amorphous concern that they have less care about. What they care about is the paycheck coming in that they need to go buy groceries with. So what you have is you have political capture. All of these interest groups are being paid. Uh, so we just can't do what we need to do. And this is why I'm so bullish on Bitcoin, because I think structurally this is a problem that's very unlikely to be solved, and it's going to just end badly as it always has with the government choosing the easiest path, which is to inflate the money supply until, which is, is what you would call a soft default. I, I think the US is going to default eventually. It's just, how does it do it? I think it does it through the path of inflation.
1: Yeah. One of the things that you brought up there um, that I think, particularly in the realm of like the timeline, uh, is that every single time this default happens with, you know, Japanese yen or like some other country first, it will actually put pressure, a positive pressure back towards the dollar, you know, like they'll in, in searching for an exit, people will naturally, you know, as typically it's the global reserve still to this day, despite lots of fracturing and obviously the, the shifting geopolitical space, but there will be. I think we'll just continually see large swings. I, I think we're just entering kind of the age of volatility when it comes to all currency, um, and the dollar will go through huge deflationary periods where it's worth more, and then we'll have these credit crises and these like, oh, we're actually being sticklers and you know having restraint about this, but also we're also guaranteeing everybody's deposit and we're giving like free loans to all the huge banks and they can't even buy banks that are going out of business anymore. Like, you know, like, like the, the, the appearance of we're not creating money, but everybody's getting free money. Um, and, uh, uh, and then we'll go back through, I think it'll cycle back through and we'll have another spike. Um, because I mean, again, it's just, it's just a matter of time and it would create, it, it would need such a huge political shift to even begin to fix. And not only is the political shift not happening, we're not even getting like a small political shift in the right direction. Um mm-hmm. uh, it seems to be kind of accelerating in the wrong direction, kind of all over the place. um and so I uh, completely agree that you just have to systemically hedge. You have to just get out as much as yeah.
2: as much value as you can. Yeah, and the more you delay, the worse that problem gets. And I think VJ brought up a lot of good points. Um, when you talk about raising taxes, I think it was Switzerland uh, came up in the news the other day. Um, they raised taxes on the, the ultra-wealthy there, and they expected to bring in about $150 million in additional tax revenue. Well, the wealthy just left, and it ended up being uh, negative about $500 million in tax revenues when they tried to raise taxes too much. Um, and then it's just a demographic issue when it comes to these entitlement programs um, Stanley Druckenmiller was just giving a keynote speech and he's talking about this problem. And he says we're already spending about 40% of taxes on seniors when it comes to Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Um, and in 20 years, it's going to be 60% of tax receipts right now or tax revenues. And um, you know, what is the solution to that problem? And VJ, you brought up when debt GDP gets to certain levels, um, I think it's like over 120%. There's only a certain number of ways that you can get out of that. You can raise taxes, um, you can default, you can try to inflate it away, or I guess there could be a productivity gain, um, which a lot of people say that's impossible right now. It looks pretty bleak when you look at the productivity numbers. That is another way to kind of naturally grow yourself out of this debt problem. But the one area that I'm looking at where potentially it could lead to a lot of productivity gains is AI. Um, and we've seen AI really take over the headlines. We had chat really come on the stage in 2023. Um, so guy, I know you've been kind of looking at AI, what are your general thoughts around it and maybe how does it apply to Bitcoin?
1: Yeah. So AI is a really interesting kind of play or, or factor that has been introduced into this environment. Now, probably if we look like 10 years out i think we could potentially see some huge productivity shift but i don't think we're seeing i don't think we're going to see a lot of it in the short run mm-hmm. um right now we're still trying to figure out what to do with these tools so this is actually what i started ai unchained the new podcast for is the real focus was actually to um uh i i think there's a huge concern in creating our recreating our same bad habits of centralizing and platform-based services with ai is the surveillance problem and the control of individuals the, the this in encompassing sort of top-down control that we've seen becomes an order of magnitude more dangerous and worse consequences if we're all just plugged into somebody's centralized ai you know, not only do they have visibility into everything we're doing on a computer, if, you know, when windows releases their AI embedded into the operating system, but they have contextual understanding of everything that we're doing on our computer. Um, and if you're not doing, if you're not local hosting, like if you're not self, if you're not doing the computation locally, that's a nightmare scenario. Um, but, uh, uh, right now, a lot of it is still hype um, and a lot of it, like, it, there's, there's a massive amount of noise. It very much feels like crypto 2017. Um, but one of the big things that I think is, but luckily, um, is open source is moving very, very fast. One of the beautiful things about the natural elements of AI is that it's about who can teach quickest, you know, as soon as the algorithm is released or the model it exists, then the question is, can a community teach faster than a giant corporate entity? Um, and so, and they're developing in very different ways as well. Um, but I do not think there will be this like network lock-in like moat thing that we have seen with platforms because it the technology manifestly doesn't behave like that. It's not the same thing. Um, and, uh, so that's actually a really positive thing, but I think we will see this kind of like double Moore's law happening where not only does the, like, while our technology is getting smaller and lower cost, AI is also getting, uh, the, the hardware that is, it is able to run on is decreasing massively. Like, like just a year ago, people would have said that, um, there's no way that you can have a local large language model. Like It's just not going to happen. You need 10,000 GPUs. That's the only way to ever get a good answer. And now you can roll, uh, literally within a matter of weeks, the open source community when Meta's model launched, uh, uh, leaked, uh, it's called Llama. Um, within a matter of weeks, they figured out how to run the thing on a freaking Raspberry Pi. Like, I'm not even kidding. The, mm. the, the 7 billion parameter model is slow and you would never ever want to use it because you're constantly writing to hard drive instead of RAM, but you can run it. Um, and I have run one locally that uh, uh, basically the, the user response to it is that it was 48.7% uh, uh, valued or, or uh, preferred to 51.3% to chat GPT. That is not a big gap. Um, and we're talking about running locally on basically a high-end consumer device. Um, and I think that's going to continue to change and evolve, which where I think this applies to Bitcoin, Bitcoin is just a bunch of builders. You know, like that's, that's the really magical thing about this space is that everybody is constantly trying to figure out how they contribute. Can contribute but there's also a lot of very computer literate like very literate people from a technical aspect that aren't developers i include myself in that group i'm not a developer i have been doing nothing but building scripts for months to accomplish a little tasks using chat gpt the the ability to make small batches of code that work by just asking it to do stuff is remarkable um i've brought this up on a a few different episodes recently was uh like i've I've now got a script i used to lose a day every month like when i'm working with tons of media i mean sam you probably know um but i work with tons of media and i have you know uncompressed audio like project files constantly and i'm doing 10 different things at once I, i eat up 400 gigs of data like nothing you know, 20, 30 days in and I'm at a hard drive space again on a two terabyte computer. Um, And then I lose a day transferring, compressing, organizing, archiving, like just doing all that stuff. I just, I literally, I'll just be in the middle of a logic project and it'll just be like, you're running out of memory. We can't record this anymore. You got to do something. And I just have to stop and spend a couple hours. I spent about 40 minutes uh, the other day uh, writing a script with ChatGPT that um uh whenever it just i just select the folder with my projects in it and it will grab all of the relevant project files it will individually compress everything in the folder um uh, one one project at a time then it will move the zip file to my linux machine then it will verify individually each one that the the uncompressed that the original project and the zip file are in fact accurate and it's on the new computer then it will delete the original project file and just do that through the entire folder so now when i'm running out of space i've just been doing this every few days um and with ai and chain being a video thing you know i've got like 13 gigs per project with the video and stuff so i just i do it i just double click on this thing every day um and it archives the whole thing um, and I, I archived like, I don't know, 600 gigs of stuff the other day while I was working on stuff. So I was recording while, and it was funny because it's, you know, it's just running live, like in my terminal. So I'm hearing the little trash can, like every, every, like every, like two minutes or whatever, when it's done zipping and moving the next project or whatever. And so I'm just like recording and I just, I'm just hearing this for like an hour and a half or two hours while it's just cleaning up my computer. Um, and I have I literally have like, um, just in the ones of the stuff that I'm using, I got like eight, nine, 10, like fifteen or so of stuff that I use all the time, like media compression and all this stuff. Stuff that used to take me a long time now is just basically a double click. Um, and as Bitcoiners realize how powerful these tools are, I think if, especially if we adopt them first. Um, I think we can build so many features and simplify so many things and obscure away so many of the the little headaches and the little bumps in the road that people run into. Uh, like this this makes me quote unquote, a developer and I just I don't code. I know just enough to be able to kind of look at a block of code and be like, okay, it's trying to do this. And I know some simple tricks on how to easily troubleshoot it, but I'm able to build stuff. That I never would have had the time or the yeah. energy to build before. and that's a big deal, I think. And I think more specifically is a really big deal for Bitcoin.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that I mean, you just explained a lot of productivity gains right there, and now yeah. it could I think it'll just be very slow yeah. figuring out where to plug that into our workflows and stuff. Totally, but maybe because Bitcoiners are more illiterate uh, with code and more d- computer savvy. Mm -hmm. um they'll be able to jump out ahead of a lot of other industries and and build better products and services and people that couldn't build before um are suddenly can be entrepreneurs and build on bitcoin so very interesting take i don't know vj if you had any thoughts around this ai boom that we've experienced in 2023 um how it relates to bitcoin or anything about it but i'd love to hear your thoughts
0: Yeah, you mentioned something, Sam, that I think is important, which is that this could be a huge uh, source of new productivity in the economy. And one of the things to tie it back to the previous topic that I I gave three ways to get out of a debt problem. And actually you, you mentioned the fourth, which is really important. You can, it is possible to get out of a debt problem in a good way. The one good way is you become so productive that you produce so much more wealth that you're capable of paying down your debt. It's just like if, you know, these things at the nation state level are just like us with our personal debt. If you have like a hundred thousand dollars in debt, uh, you can default, you can't inflate your way out of it because you don't control the money supply. But one, one way is you can get a better job or you can make more money and it's easier to pay down the debt. And the same thing with an economy, you can become more productive. And I think, this is going to disrupt a lot of industries. I mean, the obvious ones are content creation. Like if you are an, or if you're an author or you're making movies or something, those industries are going to be disrupted in the next three years. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can generate a book very easily now at low cost. It's orders. It will become orders of magnitude cheaper to, to create a movie in the, in the next three to five years. Um, I I find this pretty astonishing, actually. My my background is not in economics or or uh, cryptography. My background is actually machine learning, and I came to the US to do a PhD in machine learning. And I never, yeah, I never thought that we would be anywhere near where we are in my lifetime. To so to to see what's happening with AI, uh, it, it makes me think that maybe my my skepticism that an AGI and artificial general intelligence was even possible was perhaps a little misplaced. And that to me, it makes, you know, for a really interesting topic as a Bitcoiner, uh, one of the things, that if you do create an AGI, there are probably lots of them doing specialized things. One could be a human assistant and one could be a travel specialist or something that can look into creating trips for you. They'll probably need to communicate and c- pass value between each other. And what currency is ideal for transmitting value on the internet? Bitcoin Mm -hmm. Uh, is this trustless decentralized currency and, and it's 24 seven, you you know, you don't want to, if you're an AGI communicating with another one, you don't want to transmit value through, you know, the banking system, which is shut, shut on the weekend. You want to, uh, transmit value on something that can be settled immediately, and that's that's Bitcoin. So it does open up this really interesting future where if AGIs has become possible, I can totally see Bitcoin becoming more valuable just by the fact that these AGI's will need something to communicate Value or transmit value with, and that that will be Bitcoin. I, I can't imagine anything. You're certainly not doing it with gold. You're, you know, an intelligence that lives on the internet. I mean, how do you physically transport gold? You're not going to do that. So it uh, it's it, it's fascinating times. I'm I'm shocked at where we are with AGI. It's certainly possible that this could have, and maybe the presumption should be it will. Uh, increase our productivity dramatically in the same way that Moore's law did for 30 to 40 years, and then the development of the internet and the communication network that that made possible. Um, Both of those things massively increased productivity, global productivity. Uh, And this this is something, you know, Probably is big, if not bigger than than those things. The trouble is, we just don't know. Mm -hmm. It's it's there are some industries where it's really obvious where you're like, oh, okay, I can see how uh, artificial intelligence is really going to disrupt that. But what about the rest of the economy? Is it going to be really limited? Uh, Are are we going to see massive advances uh, towards an AGI in the next few years, or have we seen most of what is possible right now like that the the language models and the prediction models and generation of images is there new frontiers that are unexpected uh these are all completely open questions and i'm really super fascinated to see how this develops because it could be world changing and economy changing in a pretty short amount of time
1: yeah one of the things that i think um will change a lot, particularly when you talk about like content creation and stuff is like kind of that vapid derivative, derivative content will absolutely plummet in value. Like, like it's already, it already like sort of has, but there is always been this degree of barrier where bad content with really big budgets can still kind of go pretty far. Um, or cheap content, I guess you say like, like, like great example is just like the, the weakness of Hollywood story in the last like 10 to 15 years. Like they're really just kind of like chokeholding on the last little bit of value they can get out of the superhero fad, you know, and it's so much of their storytelling ability has really kind of fallen to the, the goals of some sort of political message. And then also they've, they've really valued basically their position and their perceived authority over the art itself. Um, And I actually think one of the beautiful things about this is that this will release the, the trap of, or the kind of the cage around art in its medium. Like now the people like the, the, literally the writer, the person who the story is closest to will have such a small gap between actually creating the content that they see in their head that, I think we'll, i think we'll see far more direct monetization and direct interaction with people who have real story. You know, producers are notoriously the ones who kill the heart of a story, um, in uh, in Hollywood or whatever. And what happens when the writer and two other people who like really care for their vision and a couple of really clever computer programs can tell the story without anybody else's help, and then they can simultaneously release it to millions of people on a platform they just like they don't they don't have to call up their agent they don't have to call up a hollywood produce like this nothing they're just not even part of the apparatus anymore and the that big budget wall of you can't have a movie that looks legitimate that looks big budget without a big budget this the budget just kind of becomes irrelevant now with a skeleton crew you can make any story you want
0: yeah what does the world look like when something like Lord of the Rings can be produced for a thousand or 10,000 times cheaper than what it was produced by. Uh, And I I had this saying, um, I was talking about Bitcoin a few years ago that you can see the future in the present if you have a keen enough eye. And the example I think of with that is the telegraph, you know, in the 19th century, you had this idea that you can communicate with anyone on earth very rapidly. And if you really thought about that you're living in the 19th century you could kind of think of the the implications of what might be possible in the future like being able to have all the world's information available to everyone all the time certainly is an implication of that although it would be very hard to have thought of that in the 19th century to dream that that far ahead you know someone like jules verne may be an example of a person who could imagine that in in the future but I think we have the same thing with AI now. Like we can think about, okay, these things are going to become much, much more cheap. Uh, we can produce things much more cheaply. What are the implications of that? What, How is that going to change society? And it's uh, certainly something that I think is worth devoting a lot of thought to. A lot of dollars will be made or a lot of Bitcoin will be made on, uh, you know, making great investments and, and creating great projects that will build out this future if you can just think of what the implications are that ai will have on on our future world and and our economy
1: there's a really good point you you made too um was uh the value of this if there's an agi like or a ecosystem of agi of uh autonomous agents that have specific goals and they can create their own keys and receive funds in order to capitalize and get resources. You know, they, they trade their resources for others. Um, they need a money and they literally can't use anything other than Bitcoin. You know, that's the only thing, the only money that that a computer can actually operate with uh, or a, a artificial intelligence with a set of goals can actually operate with and generate keys on their own is is bitcoin it, it must be a digital money which means that if there is a massive productivity gain that comes from an ecosystem of machines that can communicate set goals and trade it must only accrue to bitcoin like almost almost entirely yeah. um, it, it won't be able to be soaked up by the fiat environment um so that's so, a that's a really, really fascinating way to think about it.
0: Right. And the pr- the price level of any money is really just the amount of economic activity that's being saved in that money. And if you're a, an AI that can only save in Bitcoin, suddenly you have all of this productivity going uh, into savings in Bitcoin. That's when you get uh, Michael Saylor's phrase being relevant up only, Laura, <laughs> uh, because... It, that value, it, it, just so multiplicative when you have something that can generate value that quickly, uh, and, and, uh, without any other intervention from a human, uh, it, it's really that it gets you close to the concept of a singularity where you just have gigantic amounts of value being created very, very quickly. Uh, so this is, this is aside from, you know, the, the negative, uh, aspects of the global economy and the debt problem that we have there is a there is a positive path that you could get to uh hyper bitcoinization and ai is a potential way of doing that so very interesting great great topic to think about there's one other
1: element in the idea of paying off the debt through productivity in, in that regard too is that from a fiat perspective the debt it's such a deflation you know going back to jeff booth's uh uh model thesis. so to speak yeah. of you know the thesis thank you of uh the fact that this is a massively deflationary force is that an astonishing amount of new productivity with ai tools actually is actually makes the debt you know orders of magnitude more difficult to pay off without the inflation um unless you are accruing it in bitcoin purchasing power so it's, it would literally mean that the, the benefit of being able to pay off the debt would be in the fact that we are earning Bitcoin that is increasing in value. And then it's just like, what's a million dollars in debt when Bitcoin purchasing power is $10 million? You know, like, like it, has to, it has to have a currency that can accrue that value in comparison to a dollar, in, in comparison to what our debt is denominated in. Um, So, it's it would essentially be almost a, there, there's like this this push and pull of these two incredible forces of a staggering amount of productivity that we need to figure out how to, uh, the currency to reflect, but then this astonishing amount of dollar-denominated debt that actually gets harder to pay off if the currency gets more valuable, if the dollar gets more valuable. Um, so that that push and pull will probably either lead to a inflation through the movement of that capital out of the dollar economy into the Bitcoin economy or through the, the having to inflate the money simply to be able to pay it off. Because it's also a downward pressure on wages in nominal value uh, and a massive push upward in wages in real value. Um, but our, our debt is nominal. So it it only matters if you know it doesn't matter if your one dollar a month in wages buys you a beautiful house and you're super rich, if you still have a hundred thousand dollars nominally denominated in dollars, you've got a problem um, uh, but you know again it's it just goes to show how much is going to change and how much these things interplay with each other um, and I really just think again it's exit is exit just like watch the dollar from afar and see see how things go because it, it could be we want something that accrues that value that that allows us to share that value and a sound money is the only thing that lets that happen
2: mm. yeah i get uh i get bullish thinking about like the ai buyers like i don't know if a lot of models had that uh to think like they didn't think about the AI buyer who's coming into Bitcoin because there really is no other money that can do that, right? That's what makes Bitcoin special. It's programmable digital money. It could do instant settlement. Um, you can even stream it, right? These AIs can stream back and forth to each other based on how you use like this AI consciousness. If you, if you plug into it, you can pay in real time for its like services or whatever in, in sats and then turn it off with the snap of a finger um and that's only made possible with with bitcoin and so what else are they going to use uh it just makes a lot of sense to me um let's actually pivot a little bit let's let's actually pivot to lightning um over the years we've seen development and innovation on bitcoin through its second layer after segwit was upgraded um and then it enabled lightning we're seeing a lot of businesses start to come about and, and a lot of maturity In that network um so i I don't know if you guys have thoughts around lightning we're even seeing competition on the second layer protocols itself we have the introduction of arc recently which is kind of a competing protocol with lightning um and so we're seeing a lot of innovation happen and so it makes me really bullish when it comes to payments and kind of like the original idea of bitcoin but i've always thought it made sense to kind of build it on layers on top of the base layer Um, and so what do you guys think about what you're seeing in the lightning world nowadays? I can throw it to either one of you
0: guys.
1: Vijay, you want to roll? Are you?
0: (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I mean, I could first talk about lightning just as a a user of lightning and I was at the Bitcoin conference. It was also good seeing you guys there. Uh, and uh, as an author, I was, you know, signing and selling books And just seeing how well Lightning works actually was more reliable than uh, Square Cash, which I was using to take credit cards for people who didn't want to spend their Bitcoin. Uh, It's really amazing to see how far Lightning has come. I I would say this is, again, going to be maybe a controversial take as a a Bitcoiner. And I've said this for a long time too, so it's not not a surprise. I think the innovation is further along with lightning than the adoption and the reason i think that's the case is uh i i see money going through several stages in its evolution to becoming a reserve currency and one of them is becoming established as a store of value i think it's hard for it to become a medium of exchange before it's deeply established as a store of value and so i was always very critical of uh People in the early days of the Bitcoin community who who were talking about Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, and we need it's going to be used to replace credit cards and stuff like that, and then they would go out evangelizing to merchants saying, "Take, accept Bitcoin instead of credit cards. It's a way better system." The problem is there was no one owned Bitcoin at the time, right? So you go to a merchant, you say, "You know, put in this new payment processor, and you can take Bitcoin," and and they're very rational response would be, well, why do I need to learn about this new thing when none of my customers have Bitcoin? Well, maybe maybe one in 10,000 has Bitcoin. And now maybe today it's maybe a, a few out of 100 people have some meaningful savings in Bitcoin and actually want to spend it. Uh, so the, the problem on the merchant side is we, it, it's not widely used as a, a means of savings or a store of value yet. When people have a meaningful chunk of their savings in Bitcoin, they'll look to spend those savings, and then they'll go to merchants and they'll want a way to, to to spend the, their Bitcoin. Uh, so I, as much as I'm excited for the develops in developments in Lightning, I um, I still feel like we we haven't really tapped all of the value of that stage of the evolution we're at, which is Bitcoin becoming a store of value. And I really believe that we're not going to see widespread merchant adoption until you see, you know, a very large fraction of the population saying I keep a lot of my savings in Bitcoin until then the incentive isn't there for the, you know, average merchant to say, I really want to have a, a Bitcoin payment device. That's not to say it won't happen on its own for other reasons. For instance, square is a company that or i I guess they're renamed to block uh is a company which builds payment processes and they have this very strong affinity to bitcoin which is awesome so they may just build it in because they want to build it in uh and and you could have merchants have the capacity to accept bitcoin but the, the problem is we just need to get more people owning bitcoin and keeping their savings in bitcoin and then then this issue of uh merchant adoption isn't a problem anymore. And people will be using lightning for the, you know, very rational reason that it's the cheapest way to transact on Bitcoin. You don't want to buy a coffee on chain, uh, as a, you know, as opposed to some of the, the B caches back in 2017 saying you want to buy everything on chain. You absolutely do not want to buy everything on chain because it's going to become more expensive. And, And I think that's another topic that, you know, this year we're starting to see a real fee market develop in Bitcoin, um, which I I personally think is a very healthy thing. Uh, And and as I believe that fee market will continue to develop and Bitcoin gets close to becoming a reserve currency, you you will have to use lightning for those times when you want to spend your Bitcoin because it just won't be economic unless you're buying a house or a car or something, it won't be economic to do your everyday purchases on chain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with pretty much all of that, actually. Um, uh, Just because, uh, especially in regards to uh, lightning adoption cycle and when we could expect to see a huge push. Uh, Granted, there's, there's a couple of interesting and really hopeful elements here is that despite the bear market, lightning adoption has continued to increase. Um, And the, I think that's just kind of showing probably that outsized gap between the fact that development has outpaced adoption so that adoption can continue to happen. And there are so many tools to take advantage of that are just kind of sitting on the table that aren't widely, uh, taken advantage of that. There's a lot of like really low hanging fruit in lightning right now. But one of the things which I think is actually both beneficial and a drawback, like there's, there's an element of a trade-off here is that we've actually seen a lot of increase in custodial lightning in the use of Lightning on Cash App and the use of Lightning of Wallet of Satoshi and like a bunch of these different custodial services, specifically because of the features that you can get and the fact that you can move Bitcoin very quickly, very cheaply. Um, and Noster is actually, I think, a big part of that as well, because everybody wants the LN URL, right? Everybody wants an address so that you can zap people on Noster. And that experience is really freaking awesome. Um, just being able to like scroll through and like one click zap people is is really kind of magical and you just can't do it with any other system. Um, but it does tend people because you have to have a URL. Um, you, it, it runs right back into the, how do you have your own URL for a website? You, you centralize, right? You use Squarespace, you use Luna. you use some other host. You have to have a public server. Um, and in doing so that tends to, uh, it tends toward centralization because people people just don't like running their own servers that's always been the case of the internet um and we're seeing a lot of that same thing develop in lightning but i also think when you have a ecosystem of services kind of blowing up um, and taking more advantage of this advantage of it and uh, being more integrated with each other um i think that's an indication of the maturity of the space as well Um, you know, there's, there's simply a lot of people plugging in and then with all this BRC 20 token and ordinal crap and fees spiking on the network, I think a lot of people who had yet to kind of pull the trigger on their lightning integration kind of felt stupid about it. You know, they're just like, we should have focused a little bit more on having that available because it is pretty broadly used or at least accepted as what should be an option for people who are in the bitcoin space um and you know vj making the comment that he used it at bitcoin 2023 like that's all i did um is i used my fold card and lightning and what was funny is i i ended up walking away with a lot more sats than i left with in my uh in my wallet specifically because i was paying for everybody's meals out when we were like going out to to places or whatever and making them all pay me back over lightning um but everything at bitcoin 2023 all the shirts and little gadgets and the little fun stuff and the butt wipes that I bought I don't know why i did that um <laughs> uh but uh uh I think I think I only bought it because they made me laugh um but all the stuff I bought I bought with lightning and it was it was great it worked worked like a charm on my drinks everything so
2: um, yeah.
1: it's it's cool to see i remember it was like two two years ago three years ago or whatever they were like just a lot of trouble. You know, people had like payment issues. Everybody was like excited that it was like there and like you could use stuff, you could do stuff with it, but it was a whole different experience. It felt quote unquote boring because it just, it was just there and it was just obvious that it was going to be present, Um, which is, I think is a good, really, really good
2: development. Yeah. I mean, you make a great point. Like lightning adoption is obviously continuing throughout this bear market and the bear market uh, it's been it's been a rocky one. I have to admit, there's been a lot of blowups, uh, mostly in the broader cryptocurrency uh, ecosystem. Um, and this morning, we're talking to you guys, and Binance uh, just got sued by the SEC. Uh, so they just Jeez. got charged for being an unregistered securities exchange for issuing unregistered secu- er, securities via BNB and BUSD. Um, in the complaint, they specifically called out specific. Uh, cryptos like Solana and ADA or, or whatever, um, Cardano. I, I think they <laughs> call it ADA or know. something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they call them out though as like specific as uh, unregistered securities. Um, yeah. So like we're kind of, you guys have experienced multiple cycles before. Um, so if you have listeners here that are maybe uh, looking at this, um, what would you say to them um, to focus on in a bear market? Um, what's important to focus on, what's the thought process that you guys have done in the past that kind of gets you through that to the next cycle, to the next bull? Maybe throw it to you, Vijay.
0: So in a bear market, good news doesn't matter. It doesn't help. (laughs) And in a bull market, bad news doesn't matter. It doesn't stop the price going down. or Maybe it goes down very temporarily and then it starts shooting up. So where Bitcoin is now, I think somewhere around 26,000 you know, at the time of this recording, uh, uh, I think it's actually a very normal and healthy place for it to be, uh, in, in terms of the cycle. I mean, Bitcoin goes through these four year cycles and I believe it does that because of the halving. I think the halving still has an impact on, uh, Bitcoin's, uh, parabolic moves. Uh, so you, if you if you believe that the four-year cycle is still intact, and I, I do, then where are we in, in, in the cycle? We are in 2019. And 2019 uh, was, you know, you can go back and find a tweet of mine, I think it was mid-2019, where I said, the bull market is just about to begin or it's just begun. Uh, and this is really when you start seeing the gradual move upwards and then things start accelerating when the halving happens and they really go parabolic the year after that. So I, I don't have any reason to believe that that cycle is dead. I, you know, I think that we're going to see that again. And I think there are certain things that might align really well with that, um, the previous cycle didn't go quite as parabolic as i I think a lot of us expected including myself and i think um the reason was the federal reserve did something that was sort of unexpected you know it it dramatically increased interest rates in, in a way that it hadn't done in 15 years so it really was a long period of time before they had done that and it's to me, it seems very unlikely that they'll be able to stay sustain interest rates this high for very long because the system as a whole just doesn't work at high interest rates. Banks start failing. A lot of businesses can't uh, service their debt. The, and then the economy goes into a recession and the Fed's hand is forced. I expect that's going to happen in the next six months to a year, and the Fed's going to have to pivot. And I think when it pivots, it's probably going to pivot right around when the halving happens. So I think you get this perfect storm in in twenty twenty four for for Bitcoin to go on another one of these these really uh, uh, incredible rallies that really blow everyone away. And you know, at the start of the rallies, most people don't, especially people who are new to Bitcoin, don't expect how high it will go. I mean, there weren't many people in 2017, early 2017 who would have said Bitcoin is going to go from like $900 to $20,000. I mean, now that seems kind of normal. That's the way, uh, you know, uh, path dependence works. You look at prices in the past and you sort of come to a conclusion that where you're at makes sense. But if you go back in time, it certainly would have seemed very incredible if someone came up to you and said Bitcoin's going to go from nine hundred to twenty thousand dollars. Yet it did. So I think I would expect something like that to happen again in twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five. In terms of the news, the SEC, um, yeah. you know, I think this has a lot to do with Gensler, uh, and I, I heard some pretty compelling commentary that I really agree with, which is that this is this is really political i don't think gensler cares at all about you know the legality or whether this is whether what he's doing is good for the economy or any, anything like that i think what he is doing is he's setting himself up to become treasury secretary and he probably would have been under clinton if she had won uh and and how do he become treasury secretary well you have to You have to appeal to the people in the party who become your advocates to the president and and who is he appealing to he's probably appealing to the left wing of the democratic party he's probably appealing to people like elizabeth warren who think that there should be much stricter enforcement that this is all just needs to be blown away um and these companies need to be killed i think he's just like looking at that he's not looking at whether this is good or bad or right or wrong he just cares about his own power and he's like how do i further my career uh, and, and, so everyone's getting caught up in this, all the companies getting caught up and I expect that this is going to continue, uh, right to the end of, uh, Biden's administration or his term. And, and I expect Gensler is going to be hoping that in the next administration, whether it's Biden or not, he's going to get a promotion. Hmm.
2: Guy, what's your reaction yeah. to the Binance news and, um. What would you say to somebody who's maybe in the bear market for the first time?
1: I would say, particularly in the bear market sense, um, you know, the bear market and the the Binance issue is not unexpected. Um, it just kind of, yeah. you know, in, in the context of this bear market in particular, every time Bitcoin, the ecosystem and the, the mind share that it takes in a new cycle it gets kind of an order of magnitude bigger, not just in price, but just in the fact that people recognize it as something that exists and it's going to be here. Um, and in that particular context, I can't think of a bear market that was easier than this one. Um, there's a, Because it's bigger, there's a lot of news. There's a lot of really exciting events and really exciting explosions of exchanges and all the stuff in the crypto market um but in the realm of like does it feel like bitcoin has died does it feel like bitcoin has some existential threat it's like just kind of nice it's just like this one's this one's easy granted you know we've been around here for a number of different bear markets you know all, all this there's this a little bit of PTSD back from the 2014, 2015 bear markets that it just felt like, it felt like death. Like it was just like, it was awful everywhere, you know? Um, and the mind share that Bitcoin has accomplished in the last, like has just stolen in the last like three or four years to being this thing that's just clearly here. Like even even the people who, even the people who are against it, like it's just the way it's talked about is is different. It's just it's not the same. Like Bitcoin is clearly here, um, and I think it also sets up a very interesting position for the next run, for 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 the next cycle in because all of these things, humanity moves in waves, and I think there's some real kind of elegance to the choice of the four year having. Um, where, uh, like the having cycle is still here, but it's going to mean less and less as time goes on. It has meant less and less specifically as as time goes on, because you know when you're when you have a few million Bitcoin in existence and you cut the inflation rate from fifty Bitcoin to twenty five, that's a staggering change in the amount of inflation, amount of new Bitcoin that come into existence relative to the stock. Right. The, the stock to flow shifted massively. Now, when you have 19 million Bitcoin in existence, and you're moving from 6.25 to 3.125, that's not nearly the, inf- the inflationary shift. That, 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 that supply is specifically a whole lot less in comparison to the stock, right? So as time goes on, that will mean less and less from a purely mathematical supply perspective. But what I think it will continue to do there, there's something, there's something almost kind of natural about like a four year cycle and leveraging and deleveraging with like like real market pressures. Like I think there's some sort of link there. Like if, if you look at uh, our debt cycles in the fiat space, you, you almost see like this eight year trend. Um, uh, and there's something about that length of time, this like kind of like seasons sort of this move that I think is actually kind of reinforcing. I actually think the four-year choice wasn't merely, or if it was merely a mathematical choice, I think there's something that it sort of actually aligns with kind of typical leverage cycles um, uh, in in some useful way, not to mention the fact that it it aligns with the US political cycle as well. Um, so you kind of throw things back into to chaos. So we kind of align to those things. But all that's a long way of saying that I think uh, I think the cycle is not at all. I think we're going to continue to see waves, um, yeah. uh, in a multiple different layers. We're going to continue to see waves, and the technology that is available now. When you have something like, when you have an entirely different social media network that has layers of like, you can build marketplaces on top of it. Like you're totally changing. The environment of what you can do with the internet architecture, when you have lightning and all of the, the the tools and services that will be available to adopt it, when you have this political atmosphere and a banking crisis happening at the same time, when you have the potential of AI in which productivity can only subsume them, like uh, can only really accrue to a digital currency. And when you have a political sphere that's talking about unregistered securities and Bitcoin isn't really recognized as part of that discussion. Um, Like it's nobody's really making the argument anywhere that Bitcoin is a security. Um, It's a wholly different thing. And the political apparatus talks about how they're going to regulate it and how they're going to punish the miners and whether or not it's climate friendly, but it's not a question of whether or not it's outlawed or whether or not it's going to exist next year of whether or not it's a, it's a scam. It's, it's bitcoin is here how do we treat it um and i think that lends itself to a really really powerful push in the next cycle to yeah. to the potential of opening up into a space of people who have seen this have touched this you know there's the that element of people who finally get into bitcoin it's like you have to touch it like three times like five times that's a vj t- touch point. Uh, it was it was, was it vj was that was that a vj thing <laughs> of course it was of course it was um I think there are a lot of people that have like touched it three to five times now and not actually bought it, not actually pulled the trigger, not actually really used the technology. But the next time they see that price go 20 percent, 30 percent, 100 percent, they're going to wonder why they haven't yet. Yeah. Um, And it's not going to be unrealistic for them to think, I should just get on Cash App, just buy some, just get on Swan,
2: you know. They yeah.
1: keep they, bi- guy talks about it on Bitcoin Audible
2: all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I uh no, I think that when the Binance news came out, it wasn't surprising at all. Um and you're right, Bitcoin's not really in the conversation. And if you really everyone talks about oh, the regulation crackdown on Bitcoin, I'm like, it's not really on Bitcoin at all. Like yeah. it's always about these other cryptocurrencies that we have been arguing have been uh centralized. They do are controlled by founders, they are full of scams. Um, and so you would think a lot of capital would think about this now differently where they say, okay, I've kind of woken up to this, um, marketing scheme of these, these other cryptocurrencies and we're going to invest in the real thing. Um, and really they don't have the regulatory risk when you look at Bitcoin compared to these other cryptocurrencies. And so I think more and more investors are going to start to see that. And we probably will see some capital inflows into Bitcoin compared to these other cryptocurrencies. Um, so I just wanted to end with just a few like rapid questions guys like you could take 30 seconds to respond to these ones or like a minute um real quick um i'll start with vj what has bitcoin given you
0: an education uh i i was interested in austrian economics and uh i i think the story of money had been told many times, but it hadn't been told correctly, and I think Bitcoin educated me on how money can come about. It's certainly much different to what a lot of people said it was. That money could only come about as a commodity, so yeah, definitely been educated by Bitcoin. Guy, what what has Bitcoin given you?
1: A way to turn my passion for stories and ideas into a career that I run myself that that is like getting to be a part of this space has really changed my life in what I am able to do. And it was important enough to me that I just took a really what seemed like a ridiculous risk to just like I'm just going to build something in the Bitcoin space and it worked it worked and that was that was a big deal and then the education
2: yeah what about i've
1: learned from reading a million things
2: yeah yeah well your your podcast is amazing man so bitcoin audible people check it out uh guy if satoshi was watching what would you say to him her they thanks man
1: (laughs) yeah thanks for putting up with the shit for building something that you thought you could build and just trying and then putting
0: it out there. Thanks.
2: Vijay, if Satoshi was watching, what would you say to him? I heard
0: that. Obviously, thanks would be the first thing. But I think I would also comment that uh, Satoshi is the apotheosis of self control. No one <laughs> has had the self control <laughs> that he has had to, to do what he did to create something that's this valuable and stay anonymous and leave uh, and to give us this gift is just. It's. Uh, You couldn't have written a story like this. It's so incredible.
2: Yeah. Last one. Guy, can Bitcoin hit a million dollars?
1: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Might do it this next cycle. And oh well. Loosely dependent on what the value of the dollar is in there too.
2: (laughs) Yeah. VJ, can Bitcoin hit a million dollars? Yes. Yes. Well, guys, this was a great conversation. We covered a lot, covered AI, lightning um unsustainable nature of the the debt system that we have right now. We talked about um bear markets. I just I really appreciate you guys coming out and sharing your wisdom. Um everyone check out VJ's book, Bullish Case for Bitcoin. Check out Guy's uh amazing podcast, uh Bitcoin Audible. He reads some of the best pieces in Bitcoin, including VJ's blog post, I believe, is an episode. Um, and so, where can people find you guys if if they want to just follow along with your with your journey? Uh,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm just... on Twitter. Oh yeah, sorry, 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 guy. I'm I'm on Twitter, and I, I promise I'll be back. <laughs> I, I'm uh, the guy
1: swan everywhere. I'm on the guy swan on Twitter, Noster, YouTube, um, and I'm recently with AI Unchained in the new show. I've been doing more video work, and I hope to do a lot more of that. Um, so definitely keep an eye out there but obviously bitcoin audible yeah.
2: cool Great guys show. thanks a lot for coming on swan signal appreciate it and uh i'll see you around if you care about your financial future you need to check out a couple of our offerings including swan ira and swan private swan private is our white glove concierge service where you get a trusted partner on your bitcoin journey We offer all kinds of education and research projects, as well as exclusive events to our Swan private customers. Check it out today at swan.com slash private. Also, Swan IRA. Swan IRA is the best way to gain exposure to real Bitcoin in a tax advantage account, like a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, or rolling over your 401k. So if that interests you, check it out at swan.com slash IRA today.